on his life, he says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Please be seated. If you're visiting with us today, let me be uh, another one to welcome you and say we're thankful that you're here. If, if you've gotten one of those packets, if in, inside there you'll find a, uh, an attendance card. If you'll pass that to the aisles at this time, we have some gentlemen coming up who will take those for you. We'd like to have a record of your attendance. And we're grateful for all of you who are watching with us and participating with us online. We're so grateful to have you all with us today. Let's take an opportunity and define some things. What exactly is faithfulness? How does that work in, in reality? And how does that work in, in principle as you and I live these lives dedicated to God? In uh, Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 17, you and I will read there that it is the bride of Christ. The Spirit of God that would declare to those who have never put on Christ in baptism to come. What, what a great statement. Man, mankind can come to God by hearing and understanding what God has to say. James chapter 1 and verse number 22. Mankind can come to God in belief of the word that he has been given. John 8 and verse 24. He comes to God through repentance of sin, Luke 13, 3, and confession that Jesus is the Christ, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32. He comes to God through baptism, Acts chapter 2, verse number 37 and 38. It was that crowd on the day of Pentecost who would stop Peter at what I think was the beginning of a good introduction to his sermon. And they would ask, what is it? What is it that we must do in order to satisfy the wrath of God? And from that, they were told to repent and be baptized. They were told to follow after the very law of God. Now, underneath this idea, repentance and confession and baptism we don't use very often in our daily lives, do we? How many of you this week used the word confession? Well, this week getting very old, but well, last week, how many of you used that? Yeah, we don't, we don't use those particular words very often. Words like repentance and confession and baptism, uh, we have sort of put in a box and put that box in this room. And, and when we talk about repentance and confession and baptism here, well, we have a good understanding of that idea, but uh, that's not part of our working vocabulary every day. But what about faithful? Is faithful a part of our working vocabulary? Do we, do we know what that means and, and what that requires of us from God? 244 times in 228 verses in the Bible is the word pistos or, or pistos found, P-I-S-T-I-S, -I -I anglicized. It is uh, translated as the word faithful. It's also translated as the word fidelity. It's also translated as the word hope. 
What an interesting idea. Faithful, as it's defined, is a strict or thorough in the performance of a duty, like a faithful worker. It is true to one's word, promises, or vows. It is an allegiance or affection. It is a, a, a constant loyalty to something. Is that how I define myself when I look at myself compared to what God would have me do? And see, this particular sermon deals strict or mostly with those men and women who have put on Christ already. And let us, as those who have, encourage you the same way Revelation twenty two seventeen would. If you haven't done those things, you need to. You need to become a child of God's even today. And with those who have, let's look at ourselves. Let's look at ourselves with, with that, that eye that we use looking at other people so many times. Let's, let's examine ourselves today and see what faithful is. I'd like for you in, in number one here to look at yourself in the eyes of the soldier. In the eyes of the soldier. Faithfulness is required in duty. In Acts chapter 5 and verse number 29, we see those apostles referring back to that. In Acts 5, 29, those apostles would say, even to those in the civil government at the time, we ought to obey God rather than men. Notice what they're saying here. They're not saying at all that those in the civil authority don't have civil authority. What they're doing is they are pleading to the highest authority found anywhere ever. They are appealing to the authority of God and who he is. It would be Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 21 that says those people who do what God says to do are the ones who are going to be saved. What a great idea. But when exactly does God expect that? If if you were to show up every time the doors were opened, that would be a Sunday morning a Bible study and then Sunday morning worship service like we're at and a Sunday night worship service and a Wednesday night worship service. And we won't throw in some of those extra things that, that tend to come around. But if it was just those things, would, it, would God expect us to give him four hours a week? Yeah, he would expect that. Would God expect only four hours a week? See, when I went into that baptismal pool and you went into that, that same pool and we were baptized for the remission of our sins, that old man died. That old man of habit, that old man of desire, that old man died and that new slave and that new soldier was raised to walk in newness of life. Look at your life through the eyes of a soldier. You know how long you're a soldier? 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. That's what God expects. You know why? That's what He expected from His Son. That's what He expects from me. He, we, as His soldiers in his army are required to follow certain things. It would be Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 16, who would say, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works 
and then glorified the Father. My works should reflect God himself. If I'm going to be faithful to God in my, in my duty, I'm going to be faithful in my worship, I'm going to be faithful in my daily life, I'm going to be faithful in my thought process. I'm going to be faithful in my worship because who knows better than what God wants in his worship more than God? When God has said, I want these five exclusive things, what did he mean? Did he say, I'll take a sixth one, but I didn't really want that? Or when he said, I want these five exclusive things, did he mean, I want these five exclusive things? It's pretty simple that way, isn't it? You know what God said to do? He said to sing. And in that, he said to sing without the accompaniment of mechanical instruments and music. Is that because we can't play them? No, there are several here who can. Is that because we can't afford them? No. It's not that we can afford those things. It is because the command was given by God to sing exclusively. Why do we give of our means? Why do we partake of that Lord's Supper? Why do we study God's Word together? Why do we pray? Because those things have been commanded by the soldiers in God's army. And as good soldiers, you and I should do what we're told. Look at the duty that I have in my daily life. Brethren, let me tell you something. If I am different here than 75 feet from here, I've got a problem. If I am different here than I am here, I've got a problem. And I'll just be real honest with you too. If you are different from there to here, you've got a problem too. As children of God, we're supposed to be children of God and soldiers in his army wherever we go. And in my daily life, I am supposed to reflect Christ all day, every day. Now notice this in duty, in thought. Because while I'm here at worship, I can do those things. And in my daily life, I can, I can have a parade every day, and I can show you what you want to see. And at the end of my life, you can stand in places like this, and you can look at me in that lying in state, and you can say, boy, wasn't he a good Christian? never knowing what goes through my head. We have to be guarded about our worship because that's what God has commanded. We have to be guarded about our daily life because that's a reflection of Christ. We need to be guarded about our thought because that will send us to hell. Do you think like Christ? Not while you're just here. Do you think like Christ? You remember those, those lepers those ten lepers who would come to Christ, and they would say, heal us, and he would say, go show yourselves to the, uh, to the high priest. And as they were on their way, they, their, their, their leprous sores went away. He sees them in the state that they are. And he sees them dying. 
You know what he thought about them? These guys are dying. And I can do something to help them. When we are in our worship, in our duty, we need to be very vigilant in that. And when we're in our daily life, we need to be vigilant in that. When we're in our thought, we need to be vigilant in thinking like Christ. Any change toward God's law holds with it the availability to change every law of God or to replace every law of God or even dismiss every law of God. That's seen very prevalently in the religious world. I can dismiss the laws of God, and here's why. Because God will save me. I don't have to do anything else because he has saved me. Oh, don't fall into that trap. See yourself in the eyes of the soldier. But secondly, see yourself in the eyes of the Savior. Sometimes, some things that we do as being uh, faithful to God, we do because those things are commanded. Some things we do just because they're good things to do. And sometimes we're often confronted with a good option and a, to do a good deed, and we refuse those things. James chapter 4 and verse 17, For him that knoweth to do good and to doeth it not, notice, notice this phrase here at the end, For him it is not a great thing, but maybe he can make up for it. Is that what yours says? Or does yours say, it's not a great thing, but maybe he'll get another chance? For him that knoweth to do good and to doeth it not, for him it is sin. Is it possible that opportunities can walk right past me and I either refuse to, to acknowledge them as an opportunity or I refuse to speak to someone about Christ and that becomes sinful? Shake your head this way. Yeah. In my refusal to follow after God, I find myself in the same place as those three, or at least two of the three characters uh, in the parable spoken by in Luke chapter number 10. You remember that parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. After that young man is going down to Jericho and he's beaten half to death and he's left on the side of the road, he's robbed, he's, he's just left there in a crumpled mess to die. The first one who walks beside him is a priest who looks at him and perhaps he thinks, well, I've got to get down uh, to the temple or to the uh, synagogues down here. I've got some work for the Lord that I have to do. And so he passes by on the other side. Perhaps he says, I don't want to become ceremonially unclean. The next man to come by is that Levite who finds himself lingering as he stares at him. Eventually just walking on past him. And as Jesus is speaking this parable, he's speaking to a primarily Jewish audience, and then he brings up this S word. That, you know, the, the S word that, that the Jewish people hate to hear. And then there was a Samaritan. And you and I know this parable probably like the back of our hands. We see this Samaritan uh, look at him, have compassion on him. We can see him uh, binding up his wounds and putting medication in those wounds. We can see him putting him on his own animal and taking him to the end. Now, uh, concentrate on what happens at the end for a second. 
He gets to the inn, he gives the innkeeper some money, and he says to him, if this is not enough, when I come back through, uh, we'll settle the score. The amount of money given to the innkeeper in that day would have kept that beaten and broken man in a room to recuperate for 30 days. And uh, at our first worship service this morning, Michael gave me a nod, so I'm going to keep going with that. Let's suppose that your okay, run-of-the-mill hotel room nowadays is about $100. Let's suppose that. Would you be willing to give $3,000 for a guy you don't even know? Look through the idea of faithfulness through the eyes of the Savior. What would you be willing to give for a person you don't know? Would you be willing to give your life? That's what Jesus did. A refusal to do good like our master is a refusal to serve God. What is the person who is hurting and lost and destitute and needing God, what's he worth? Be real honest with yourself right there. What's he worth? Notice this. I can be faithful to God or unfaithful to God in my attitude. And as I do that, I want you to look at yourself through the eyes, once again, of that Samaritan. In Genesis chapter 4, and in Luke chapter 10, verse number 29, and in Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 25, you have three pitiable attitudes. First, Genesis 4, you have the attitude of Cain, where God would say to him, Why art thou wroth? Why has thy countenance fallen? What's wrong with you? I can see you're mad and disappointed and frustrated all on your face. To which he would answer, Am I my brother's keeper? The answer to that rhetorical question is yes. Look at this pitiable attitude in Luke chapter 10. The lawyer coming to Jesus to tempt him. About Matthew chapter 22, a lawyer came to Jesus in order to justify himself. If my attitude is poor toward what I have done, if it is toward tempting God, if it is toward justifying myself, that attitude is horrible. Adopt the mindset that we saw in Luke chapter 10 from that Samaritan. Go back to it. He sees him on the side of the road. He looks at him. Now here's your phrase. If you underline, here's your phrase. And has compassion. If my attitude toward others and toward myself is not compassion, what am I doing? Look at Matthew chapter 19, Mark chapter 10. They all deal, both of those, uh, uh, 
verses, set of verses there deal with the one that we call the rich young ruler. And as we've looked at him several times, we see that he went to the right source, that he asked the right questions, that he got the right answers, but that he chose the wrong path. Notice what's not said about him. He didn't come to Jesus tempting Jesus. He didn't come to Jesus looking for a way to justify what he's doing. When he came to Jesus and asked, Good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus didn't point out that he didn't care anything about eternal life. Jesus answered the question, and I think that's because the, the rich young ruler had a desire. He wanted to know. Did he have, did he have problems? Did he have things that were in his way? Yes. But was the question, was the attitude with which he came the right attitude? Oh, yeah. Do you see a difference there? Now, look at yourself in the eyes of that, or with the eyes of that Samaritan. Have compassion on yourself and ask yourself this question. Is there a difference between my attitude and the world's attitude? Or is it relatively the same? Because I'm not going to be faithful to God without the proper attitude, without the proper actions. And notice this. I can be faithful to God in principle. Things that are found in the Bible uh, at times can be given to us in principle. Now, on this idea, I'd like for you to look at yourself in the eyes of similarity. The word like there in the, in, the New, in the King James Version of the Bible implies a comparison. Um, there was an old comparison. We had a, uh, I won't tell you which teacher it was at the school of preaching, but he would always say, my wife is like an angel. That's a comparison. And unfortunately, he would end it by saying she's always up in the air harping about something. That's never, that's never good. He didn't have a wife like I have a wife. She is not like an angel. See how, see how I transitioned right there? She is. Like implies a comparison of. Such like is what's found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, implies an inclusion of. Have you ever read the list of bad things that are found in the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, 19 through 21? If you haven't, take about two minutes and read that. And understand from the very outset this. That is not an exhaustive list. Well, I've done this and this. I've avoided that and this other and this other. And so I'm obviously good. That's not an exhaustive list. The last thing he says is, and such like. Why? Because you and I live in the same type world that Noah lived in. Remember Noah in Genesis chapter number 6, as we looked at him throughout our VBS? The very first few things we read about Noah is that he lived in a world where the thoughts and the intents of man's heart was only evil continually. Find new ways to break laws, right? Okay. Now we're getting to the idea, and such like implies those things that would fall in that same category. You know what's never mentioned in the, in the Bible or the New Testament or the Old Testament? 
You know that crack is never mentioned in there? The illegal drug, crack cocaine, is never found within the Bible. Now, we're not going to take a poll. Don't shake or nod. You just think inside your mind. Is it wrong? Why? And such like. We need to see, our eye, see ourselves through the eyes of similarity. I know that sin. That looks kind of like it. Well, what am I going to do? Am I going to go up to the place that's kind of like it, or am I going to avoid it altogether? It would be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I believe verse 19, where the apostle Paul would write by the inspiration of God, abstain from all appearance of evil. What does that mean? What does that mean? If I'm going to be faithful to God, I'm going to live like the son. I'm going to see myself through the eyes of a soldier, through the eyes of the Savior, through the eyes of a Samaritan, and through eyes of similarity. Because I want to finish the way Michael started with us today. I want to finish this way. For I am now ready to be poured out. You know where Paul does not go? Here's where he doesn't start in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 6. Boy, you should have seen what I used to do. It's not where he started. It makes a reference back to a sacrifice that was made throughout the Old Testament. The drink offering. When the grapes were freshly pressed, as soon as the skin on the grape bursts, that's as fresh as that grape juice is ever going to be. Right? Somebody shake or not. It, it ain't going to get any better than what it is right there. Matter of fact, it begins to deteriorate. Anybody ever have any juice to go bad in your refrigerator? You ever made the mistake of drinking it? To find out? Woo! He makes reference to that particular sacrifice because it's not, it wasn't just the amount of of liquid that was being poured out in that sacrifice, that it was the best liquid being poured out. It was the first fruits, the harvest of the first liquid that's coming out of those grapes, and they're pouring it out as a couple of reasons. One, because it was commanded by God, but two, because God's still going to provide for His children. And they, and you and I in principle, need to learn that. He said, I'm ready to be poured out. The best that I have for God is right now. He would look at himself and say, I've finished the course. He knew he was going to die. He knew he was looking at the point in time very quickly where he would be looking at God eyeball to eyeball. I've finished the course. I have kept the faith. I have been faithful to Him. The word there found, I have kept the faith, is I have kept the pistos. That's one of those 200 Forty-four times. 
I have been faithful to my Lord. He has been faithful to me. Now, let me say once again that if you have not put on Christ in baptism, there is a family of God's here who wants you to do just that. Wants you to put away that life of sin and folly, follow after God Himself through the blood of Jesus the Christ, having your sins washed away. That's what the church. That's what the Holy Spirit of God, according to Revelation 22, verse 17, wants for all mankind. For you who have. In just a few moments, we're going to stand and sing an invitation song. And by no means was this particular sermon, an exhaustive sermon on faithfulness, but it is a good start. Can you look at those things and say, I've been faithful? I've been following after what God says. I've been following in the way His Son would follow Him. If your answer to that is yes, let me say to you, thank you. That's an example that we all need to follow. If, however, you look at that and say, I could do better here or there, then why not do better? My grandfather, I guess, lived all his life except for a short period of time when he was in the United States Navy. I guess he lived all of his life in Jasper, Alabama. If you've never been to Jasper, Alabama, it's about as big as our foyer area. He had that good old-fashioned country wisdom. And here's what he said, Boy, when you know better, you'll do better. Hmm. If you answer the question by saying, I know I ought to, or I, I know I should do better, then do better. Do better right now. Come on home to a God that loves you and to a family that misses you. If you have a need, please come right now while we stand, while we sing for your encouragement.